everyone, and welcome to Sugar Pills, your practical guide to self-care. I'm your host, Candy Washington, and I can't wait to help you lead a more joyful life. So let's get started on this week's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care. So before we dive into today's episode, which will be a conversation with Sarah Simmons, don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Take some screenshots of your aha moments and of you listening to the podcast. Tag me on Instagram at Candy Washington, and I will show you some love back and repost you. Don't forget to check out the show notes for some free self-care goodies, and check out the Basic Girls guide to self-care for some of my favorite products. And I have a new project in the works, guys. It's called Life with Candy. So I will be sharing more on that in the podcast later, but just wanted to put that on your radar. So without further ado, Welcome Sarah Simmons to the podcast. So she is the founder and president of Her Future Coalition. It's an international nonprofit organization fighting human trafficking that was recently selected for a collaboration with Michelle Obama's Girls Opportunity Alliance. She has saved, which has saved over 4,500 women from sex trafficking around the world. And today she's going to share with us a powerful and inspiring message about finding resiliency in the face of trauma. So welcome, Sarah, and thank you for everything that you've been doing. Thank you so much, Candy. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you. Absolutely. So do you want to share with us a little bit of, I would love to know a little bit more about your story and how you got um, started in activism and and what really led you to to building your, your nonprofit. Sure. So it really was an unexpected journey for me. Um, I had a very different kind of career as a songwriter and performer of songs for film and television, and actually mostly wrote songs for soap operas. And um, then one of my songs got into a feature film, and that was at Tribeca Film Festival. So I went down to New York. I was living in Cape Cod at the time, and I went down to New York to see my song in the film, I was actually being performed by Emmy Rosam. It was very exciting for me. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it was really cool. But when I got there, um, I saw this other film in the festival, which was about human trafficking of girls, very young girls from Nepal to India, Mm -hmm. where they were being trafficked and sexually exploited. And many of them didn't survive. I was so distressed and also inspired um, by the film by the work that people were doing to combat this, that I made the decision that that same day that I wanted to devote my life to trying to help girls like that, to help the people that were helping them. And obviously it took me some time to figure out how to do it, um, but step-by-step, step, you know, and day-by-day, day, we d- did figure it out, we are figuring it out. And um, so it just, it got my, my music career kind of, you know, shuttled to the side and eventually kind of died out and this became um, my life. I love that. So you really found your, your, you kind of stumbled upon your, your purpose. And I love that you went with it. Like you felt that gut feeling you, you were inspired and, and you put that purpose into action and, and you've been able to help and save so many women. So I'm just, just, if you haven't heard it, thank you <laughs> from me. Um, and I would also, oh, thank you. yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Like I'm inspired right now by your story. 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Anjali? Like I was reading that um, you kind of referred to her as your daughter and she was tra trafficked at a very young age in a village in Nepal. So do you want to talk a little bit about her story and what your connection to her is? Sure. So she and I wrote a book together last year. Um, it was our COVID project. Other than I also painted a faux brick wall in my foyer. But um, the much more meaningful project was writing this book with Anjali. And I have known her since 2009. I met her in Calcutta in a shelter home just weeks after she had been rescued. And she was 14 years old at the time. She'd been rescued um, from being in the brothels of Calcutta for about two years. And so, you know, she obviously had a lot of trauma at that time, but she was such an incredible light, um, even then, and even, even with the, the trauma that she was working through. And we became, you know, really, really connected. Um, I was working at the shelter home for a couple of weeks. We were doing a therapeutic arts project. Well, then, um, unfortunately, I wasn't working at that shelter home anymore, and our organization went on to do other things, and I lost touch with Anjali. But a few years later, I think in about uh, 2013, I was um, I had some friends visiting from a partner organization that we work with in Nepal, and they were showing pictures of the kids on, a, you know, an iPad. And one of the kids was Anjali, and I recognized her immediately, and I got really excited. And I ran and got a card that she'd made for me when I was at the shelter in Calcutta, and it told her story. And sure enough, it was the very same girl. So it was quite a miraculous reunion. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, I was in Nepal a few months later and we reconnected and um, very soon after, you know, we asked each other if, you know, we could adopt each other as mother and daughter, um, not legally, but in every other way. Yeah. And um, in spirit. And um, so we've been very close and she went on to, you know, get her education, she went back to school after not being in school. And so when she was 15, she got back to Nepal and started really basically at kindergarten at you know, age 15, but she, she worked really hard. She was incredibly devoted. And now she's 26 and she's graduating college and going back to her village to open a school to prevent the next generation of girls from being trafficked. Because in their community, they have such a high rate of trafficking and child marriage every home is affected and almost every single girl is affected. Um, you know, is either trafficked or put into a forced marriage, early marriage to prevent them from being abused. It's a huge problem in the community and she wants to change it through the light of education. So we wrote this book together, which tells her story, um, talks about the root causes, how, you know, how she came to be trafficked, what happened when she was there. But the main focus of the book isn't the horrible stuff that happened, but it's about the healing and how she was able to heal, what were the factors that enabled her to heal and also to become an activist and an advocate for others. Yeah, and so so you touched upon um, like human trafficking and also like child brides, but maybe we could talk about what exactly is human sex trafficking? Because I know it's like this big word and it can look like a lot of different things. So for people out here who are listening to the podcast, you might have some idea, like maybe they saw an episode of like SVU, but they don't really understand what human sex trafficking actually looks like. Can you talk us through like mm -hmm. what, what is it? Like what really is human trafficking? And also how does it affect, um, you know, communities here in America that it happens all the time. Also the work that you're doing abroad, 
but kind of how it touches almost all communities and we may not even be aware of it. Sure. So the the definition of it, um, you know, according to the UN, is when someone through force, fraud, or coercion, mm-hmm. you know, is made to to work um, without pay, or you know, or they are forced or frauded or coerced into doing a kind of work, and so um, it doesn't have to include being taken across the international border. Right. A lot of cases, it does include that, but not always. A person can certainly be trafficked in her own hometown, you know, in India or or here in America. Um, but basically, it's it really has to do with losing control of things in your life that you should be in control of, like your, your sexuality, you know, your health, where where and how you live, um, your children. You know, you lose control of every aspect of your life, um, and. In the areas where I work, what it typically looks like, it's not like the movie Taken where someone is abducted. It is almost always involving, um, you know, tricking or or coercing through someone you know. Um, so whether it's a family member that is involved, as was Anjali's situation, um, community members, neighbors, your landlord, your husband, um, someone that you know is generally involved and the person who is trafficked isn't abducted, they're, you know, either, they either go willingly um, because they think that they're going to be working in something else, which is what was Anjali's situation, you know, or they're sold by a family member and they, you know, kind of wake up in a, in a brothel. Um, And it, it, whether it's in India, Nepal, or in the United States, trafficking definitely doesn't just happen randomly. It disproportionately affects more vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, more vulnerable people are targeted. And so it is, you know, kids of color, people from um, indigenous and tribal communities, uh, people who have already experienced rape or incest or have interacted with the, you know, juvenile justice system, people who have lost a parent, which is also what happened to Anjali, her father passed away. And often, very, very often, not always, but in the majority of cases, poverty is also a factor around the world. Yeah, so basically it's like, say it's a woman or, or a man, like men can be trafficked as well. So it's basically when someone is denied their basic human rights and they're violated under a false pretense. Exactly, I, you know, I, or like coercion, like they're, you're, we'll kill you if you don't work or we'll kill your family members or, you know, you're tricked. Like you'll come to, come to America and you're going to work on this farm and we'll, you'll get, you'll get a hundred thousand dollars in three years, but then you get nothing or, you know, or you end up coming to work. And then if you, if you try to leave, we'll kill your family members, some kind of threat. Um, and in the case of Anjali and many of the other girls I work with, you know, they are literally initially, you know, kept under lock and key, um, they are not allowed to leave. They're kept in, she was kept inside for almost two years um, and, you know, really just locked up and men were brought in like 10, 10, 20 men a night um, to abuse them. So it was a very extreme case, mm-hmm. but trafficking obviously doesn't have to be for sex. There's a, a lot of trafficking for labor um, in certain kinds of industries like mining, brick making, farming, you know, have more, more trafficking than others. You know, we've, we've all heard a lot about nail salons and some of the trafficking massage parlors and some of the trafficking that goes on in those situations. But yes, it's, you know, when you basically lose your, your basic human rights and control over your work and aspects of your life um, and often, often involves physical or sexual violence as well. 
Got it. And then, so what are some things that we can look out for to, to avoid it and also to recognize it? Because I know that sometimes women can be, and men as well, you know, people can be trafficked and it can be right there in our face and we don't even know. So like, what are some things that we should look out for and how, what are some things that we can avoid? Sure. Well, I think we should definitely look out for people who, um, don't seem to be who maybe have someone hovering over them or don't seem to be in control. Like say you work in, in um, a hospital environment, people who come in and there's someone else with them and they're not holding their own papers um, or, you know, someone who is behaving in a fearful manner, or sometimes you just, something just smells funny. Like, you know, there've been a lot of cases in the United States where someone had brought in a, a domestic worker in their home and many other people interacted with this person who was in fact enslaved and terrified. And these other people, you know, saw this person maybe very frequently, but just didn't either didn't realize or chose or were uncomfortable or didn't didn't ask or didn't say something. So I think like keeping your eyes open, being willing to ask questions. Um, you know, there's a, a hotline in the United States that you can get all kinds of resources and materials for your business or as an individual, and you know, hand out cards like this is the National Trafficking Hotline. Mm-hmm. And um, letting people know that, hey, you know, there are options, but also I think really being aware, you know, as I said, it doesn't just happen randomly, it generally doesn't happen in a vacuum. So there are certain groups that are going to be the most vulnerable. And so if you wanted to prevent trafficking, you know, in America, in your own hometown, maybe thinking about working with groups that are already in that vulnerable, you know, group, like um, kids coming out of foster care, or kids who've been in the juvenile justice system, um, refugees or immigrants, you know, who might be in a precarious situation and get into, you know, get into circumstances that become very, very dangerous because they were already super vulnerable. Um, so I think like working, working to build up the most vulnerable is something that we can definitely all do. And then, you know, I think as parents, just making sure that you have a really high standard of love in your home, that your kids feel safe there, no matter, you know, if you don't agree with all of their lifestyle choices, but you know, for example, a lot of kids get trafficked because they're LGBTQ, LGBTQ and mm-hmm. they don't feel safe at home. And so they run away and then they get trafficked. That's a group that is disproportionately trafficked in the United States. So, you know, whatever your views on that might be, making sure that your home is a safe place for whatever your kid is going through. And that no matter what they do or what happens, that they feel they can always come back and talk about it and get help and support and figure it out together. I think that would, that would go a very long way to preventing a lot of cases. Yeah, I love that. And and speaking of that group, what are some ways to incite change for the next generation to put a stop to self to sex trafficking? Like, are there ways to educate those children or mobilize it? Or I'm not, I'm not sure. Like what, like what's the best way to connect with the generation coming up to kind of break those cycles? That's such an important question. I feel like, you know, as Anjali says in the book, it's through the light of education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we, we all want to go back to the, her village and like, you know, pull a Rambo and like, just, you know, wipe out traffickers, but that's not going to really change the situation. What's going to change the situation is to educate the next generation and change the mindset of the people. So I think, um, I think it's, there's a lot of school districts are putting in education around this at a young age and it should be young, you know, like 10, 11, um, and helping people to understand what, you know, what is freedom? What is it? What does it feel like not to be free? Um, because I think people have, you know, don't really know what trafficking is, or they have misconceptions. And 
I think that, you know, talking to the kids themselves and helping them to become advocates for themselves and each other um, and to recognize it's not probably going to be you being abducted in a shopping mall, but it might be a boyfriend who says, you know, I love you and, you know, we're going to make a family and it's going to be wonderful. And then says, well, you just have to go and do this one thing. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're being forced to take drugs and you're being trafficked. But it, it's through this sort of like need for love and need for acceptance that a lot of people get into this, you know, often is through a boyfriend or a, or a friend that pulls them into it because they're just so desperately looking for a place where they can feel safe and love and accepted. So I think having that conversation and being, you know, very openly with kids, with kids to have with each other, um, just to, to understand, you know, what, what is love? What, is, what does it mean to be free? What, you know, would you or shouldn't you do and, and have an open and honest conversation about it? And what if, what if you do do something that you don't like and you get into a situation? Um, what can you do then? Where can you go? You know, if I think this issue, whether it's in India or here, it thrives in silence and secrecy and shame. We don't want to talk about it. We, or we want to otherize it. That happens to other people um, or they must've done something. And, you know, that makes us, us maybe feel a little separate from or a little safer, but makes the issue explode in our faces. We need to talk about it and openly and honestly with our own children. Um, even if we don't feel like our kids are, you know, at terribly high risk, but they could become advocates for others. And that's how the whole, the whole society changes. It is through the next generation. No, absolutely. And I love that you say that. Cause I think that I would actually love to see classes in middle school or maybe even earlier than that teach um like self-esteem and self-confidence and self-care and and just self-worth and self-love like how do you create healthy boundaries with people how do you say no and stand in your no how do you become your own self-advocate like I think that is such a big thing that's missing and I love that you that you about what you're talking about because I think that you know, regardless of what someone's circumstances may be, it's having that sense of low self-worth that makes them vulnerable, that makes them um, prey, right? That makes them more keen for someone to be able to take advantage of them. So I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's yeah. around education and I think it's around really teaching people to love themselves and to create those boundaries with people. So when they can, so exactly like you're saying, if they have this weird uncle, that's like, oh, well, you know, you don't want to make me mad because I'll tell your parents. So come over here and do this with all my friends. You can say, no, that's not right. And I don't have to, I can, it's okay. If I make you mad, I'm going to protect myself and do whatever, blah, 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 blah. So I, I love that. I think that there definitely should be more education around that and I was actually having this this conversation on um, one of my Instagram posts last week, and I was talking about creating healthy boundaries. And one of my friends was like, "Oh well, you know, you just you really just want to be nice. You have to be nice, and you never know what someone's going through, and you know you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings." And I was like, "No, I was like that is actually a very dangerous comp- narrative to have around telling people how to create boundaries, because as long as you are." putting other people's feelings ahead of your own or trying to please people or getting your value out of what other people think of you, then you are prime to be a victim. Um, so I, I love that you're talking about that. And it also, you know, with this, with the trafficking stuff that we're talking about um, with like Jeffrey Epstein, you know, we're talking about different, 
you know, whether it's abroad or here or whatever, but when he was talking about the girls that he would bring in, you know, all of them were exactly like you're saying at risk youth um, coming from, you know, poor areas, but there were the girls that he took advantage of and, and trafficked. And then there was the girls who also became predators themselves. So do you see that happening with the people that you work with? Do you have the girls who, who in and of themselves are victims too, but what are some of those differences like between the girls that become the Anjali's and she's like, I'm going to get out of this versus the girls that become basically human traffickers themselves. And they kind of enable the captors. Oh, I think that, you know, I think that's very, very common. Um, and I think that without help and intervention, almost everybody will go from victim to predator at some point because mm -hmm. You know, it just, it becomes so normalized. It's made may feel like the only way to stop your own incredible suffering. Um, and, it, and even deeper than that, I think there, you know, people hate to feel of themselves as a victim. People, mm -hmm. A lot of people would, if you were to say to them, like, I'm going to help you get out of slavery. They'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm not in slavery. Because the, it, it, people would prefer to say, I choose to do this than to feel victimized. And it's almost like, you know, how cats, like if they fall, they, they pretend they didn't. It, because you know, it's a protection mechanism, a survival mechanism to not feel like a victim, to not feel vulnerable. And that's how we are as humans too. So people will you know, eventually, it's sooner or later, will internalize it, will internalize the violence and say that they're choosing, either say that they're choosing to do it or even become themselves you know, a trafficker or someone who you know, a recruiter basically that pulls other, other girls in mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it could be the only way out. And it's also maybe the only way that they can feel that they're not this victim, which is the worst way to feel. Nobody wants to feel. Um, so I think that, you know, for Anjali, the difference was there were all these people standing in the way. And that's why we call the book standing in the way. Cause she now wants to stand in the way for the next generation and prevent it and stopping it. In her case, you know, there were a lot of people involved, some people who investigated the case and then did the rescue raid, people, the counselors who helped her to heal, the people, the legal team that helped her to repatriate to India, the shelter home, you know, shelter home she lived in in Calcutta, the home she went and lived in in Nepal, the teachers all along the way who helped her catch up, um, myself, our organization who sponsored and supported it, all the people that loved her were standing in the way. And without that, she would have become, you know, she, I would have died, you know, because it was so violent and awful and she couldn't really take it anymore or, you know, ended her own life. Or she would have, like everyone does, become the exploiter, become the next generation. I think it's unavoidable. You know, if people bond with their um, abusers through Stockholm syndrome where you, you know, just, it's so terrifying and to be victimized by people. So rather than feel like, these people have absolute control over you and you're just a victim, then you bond with them um, and start to feel like you love them or they love you or they're gonna, you know, and, and all of that, you know, twists your brain and ultimately you become, you end up becoming, you know, the, your worst, your own worst nightmare, the people that are exploiting you. I wanted to go back to what you said because it was brilliant. And oh, yeah. honestly, Candy, I really, I really think you should do it. Like, yeah or be part of creating it, this idea of self-worth at the root of it. Um, you know, and I think it's different in every country and it's different in every situation, but here in the United States, I think 
that would, you know, that would solve like a lot of the problem is yeah. Get going into middle schools and teaching kids about boundaries and teaching kids about, about love. And how, if you're not feeling loved at home, which a lot of people aren't, how can you find that? How can you create that within yourself? How can you create communities of support? What if someone is hurting you? What if, like I said, so many kids have already been abused at home. That's how they, they, they're already a victim of abuse or incest. And then it just becomes like such a slippery slope. And they're like, well, I'm, or I already feel worthless. Like what's the difference? Or this boy, he says he loves me and we're going to have a family and a picket fence. and It's going to be great. And, you know, all I have to do is, is this, and that, and then it'll make us some money. And then, and then of course, then you do this thing or maybe you take advantage of someone else and then you feel terrible about yourself and you can never go home and maybe there's no safe home to go to. All, I think all of these issues, a lot of them, you know, could be prevented by having this conversation about self-worth and, and how to find it, how to create safety for yourself, how to soothe yourself, um, what, where, and how you could find loving safety if it hasn't been in your home. Absolutely, because I think I think that feeling of low self-worth and low self-esteem and low self-value is the root cause of a lot of um, trauma. And it's also the root cause of a lot of, of, of being victims, of being vulnerable and, and being praised. Like even in like, think about like domestic violence situations, usually, you know, the woman or the man has low self-esteem and they don't know that they deserve better, but they don't know that they can get out of it. Think about people who are um, rape victims. If they've been raped once, statistically, they're more like, they're more vulnerable to be raped or sexually assaulted again. So it's more like, it's almost like, you know, like people say like a predator can walk into the room and you don't even have to open your mouth and they know which person to go after. It's that, it's like, it's like you radiate either self-confidence and self-worth or you radiate low self-esteem. And it's almost like this energy about you where people can say that person's weak and vulnerable, that person's looking for love, that person's looking for validation, that person doesn't know who they are. That's the person I'm gonna target because that's the person that's gonna wanna please me because by pleasing me, they feel seen, they feel validated. So they already feel worthless. So then you make them do something that degrades them, that dehumanizes them. And then that reinforces how they already feel about themselves. So if I walk into a situation and I already feel worthless and there's this guy that's just like, oh, well, I will love you. I will do all these things for you, but you just have to you know, go out there and have sex with these five guys and bring me back the money. That's degrading, that's dehumanizing, not because if it were my authentic choice, that's a totally different story. But the fact that I'm only doing it because I want to get my own value out of this guy, then I'm going to go do it. I'm going to feel dehumanized. I'm going to feel demoralized. I'm going to feel worthless. And then that's just going to reinforce that. So then it becomes this cycle of abuse and this cycle of mental torment and this cycle of feeling worthless. So that's why you have people who get into these situations where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel worthless and now I'm doing things. I already feel worthless. Now I'm acting out and doing things that, that reinforce that worthlessness. And that's why people stay in these abusive relationships. That's why people you know, are, are victims and are targets for this. So I think it's really important to teach children at a very young age that their bodies are their own 
You know, no one is allowed to do something to their body. They're allowed to say no. They're allowed to speak up. They're intrinsically valuable, intrinsically worthy. And I think that would really stop a lot of things that happen. Of course, bad things will happen and we'll have to deal with them. But I think it could prevent a lot of things from happening a lot sooner and make people who and create people who are empowered rather than people who are who are victimized. So, so yeah, I definitely um, believe that. And then also, yes, it's with human trafficking, which is such an extreme, even though it happens a lot, but it's, it still seems like this is extreme thing. But I think working on self-worth and self-esteem also helps just in general. You know, if you're at the workplace and, you know, you want to say no to your boss about something, but you swallow it or you allow yourself to be exploited at work, you're working overtime, but you're not getting paid or, you know, you're not getting paid enough and what you're worth or if you find yourself in these relationships, whether it's romantic or family or friends, where you're constantly being exploited or you're constantly being used, that again goes back to this root cause of just not feeling worthy and not feeling good enough. And I think if we really caught kids at an early age and really taught emotional intelligence as a part of the curriculum, I think we would be raising a more empowered generation so, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I am feeling so fired up right now. I really yeah, feel me too. like you, you are so getting it, Candy. And like yeah. a lot of people don't. And I, and I, so I feel kind of like personally validated by this, this conversation. Yeah. So a lot of people don't get it. And I think that they're, you know, I don't know, they're tr- maybe trying to solve a different problem or something like that, but you, what, what the problem is, what you've just said is a huge part of it, you know? And I think it is cyclical. It is, it is about, look, traffickers are so clever. They're so tricky. They, they can smell vulnerability. They, like you said, walk into a room and look for the person who is going to be the target. And it isn't going to be someone who's feeling you know, strong and supported and in community. It's going to be someone who's isolated and who has maybe already, already been taken advantage of. And I kind of liken it to like, to rape and sexual violence. Um, it's like a, it's like a door in your, in your heart. And it's been, it's been kicked open. It's been, you know, flown open by abuse, by rape or violence or incest. And if you don't he- fix it, you know, and you might need help to, to fix that door and close it again, it's going to remain swinging open and you're, and you will be abused and exploited again and again and again, as long as it's swinging open and women often the men, men more tend to be like actually the predator that's committing the sexual violence. Women's version of that is allowing it to happen to others, their children, usually mm-hmm. typically um, that's their form of abuse. But in either case, it's this this door that's swinging open, you've got to figure out how to close that door. So you have your boundaries intact again, and that you aren't the person that is the most vulnerable when someone walks in the room. And like, you really, really get this. I, I, I urge you to consider taking this idea forward. And, you know, I would love to help and support you because you're really getting it. And it, it, yeah. um, it's critical. And, and I feel like a lot of people don't get it. They don't, they don't see this. They're more worried about maybe what they've seen in Hollywood movie or something like that. And not to say that never happens. Abduction does happen, but it's very, very rare. Um, it's more about, it's more about coercion. It's more about, you know, people who are already incredibly vulnerable. I have very low self-worth. Intergenerational trafficking is also a big issue. I think around the world, you know, where moms and sisters have been 
either trafficked or in some kind of you know forced prostitution and then you're born into it um and then mm -hmm. it, you know it's all you see it can, be, it can be very very hard to break that again that just becomes your identity for Anjali you know she wasn't well it was intergenerational in the sense that the whole the whole community is very involved with trafficking um but in her case you know a parent had died her mother had mental illness she was somewhat abandoned she was a victim of uh, you know being assault, sexually assaulted by a relative and mm -hmm. she ended up you know at the age of 11 just with like zero self-worth no one to turn to and so when you know some uncles came to her and said hey you should go to india and like earn some money to help this family she was like okay yeah she didn't know she didn't know any better she didn't know to speak out or to ask questions or to seek a safer place you know she she was naive and she didn't know and she was vulnerable she didn't have anyone she'd already been assaulted that's like all the ingredients for someone who is vulnerable for, for this type of stuff. And I also think it goes back to like, yes, of course men can be trafficked as well, but I also think it goes back to kind of the movement we're having now with um, around like women empowerment as well. Cause it goes back to that conversation I was having <laughs> on Instagram that irritated me so much and it, and, it, and it flows with the conversation we're having because it's like, as women we're taught to be nice. We're taught to say yes, we're taught to submit, we're taught to not talk back. So I think when you have this, and it's not just in America, it's not just in rural countries, it's really a kind of a global narrative that we that women need to be submissive and women need to be nice and women need to be liked. And I think that is a big problem. And I think that is a huge reason why women are victimized so much. Even yes, the physical difference between women and men, you know, in that aggressiveness. But I also think that's a huge part of it. Because if we're taught that women have to be nice, women have to be liked, women have to be, you know, docile, then that is telling us that we are not allowed to be assertive. And we're not allowed to speak up for ourselves. We're not allowed to be our own advocates. We're not allowed to push back. We're not allowed to say no. We're not allowed to create boundaries for ourselves. We're not allowed to walk away. So I think that's another big problem too. You know, yes, in, in human trafficking, but just again, in, in society in general, I mean, you know, when the woman's voice is silenced, just like you said before, a lot of abuse and a lot of trauma and a lot of you know, the assaults and all of that happens in silence. So if you are taught to be silent, then of course you are going to suffer in silence. And again, you know, and that goes back to what you were talking about before with the, with the I think it was the, maybe they had like a, a maid or something, I'm not sure, the person, but you were saying that the person was actually not a maid, but they were basically a slave and they were in fear and nobody said anything. Because in polite society, you don't really ask questions about that stuff. So again, you allowed this person to suffer in silence when you could have spoken up and said something and probably saved someone. So I think that it, there's so many big conversations to have and so much education. You know, definitely one around teaching children self-worth and self-esteem, that their bodies are their own and they belong to them and nobody has the right to their body, no matter who they are. And then also the part around you know, yes, we'll bring the men along too, but as women, we really need to change that narrative of 
needing to be liked or needing to be nice because that literally gets us nowhere. It gets us with the pay gap, you know, it gets us, um, you know, working harder for less, you know, it gets us, you know, being silent with sexual harassment or being silent with sexual abuse. Like it's not serving us in any way. So I think those are two big buckets, you know, really teaching women to use your voice and you're allowed to not be liked. You don't have to be liked but you have to protect yourself and look out for your own best interest. And I think a lot of times we've been taught that, you know, women need to be like pretty and quiet. And that really gets us nowhere, but a beat. Oh my gosh. Yes. It gets us nowhere and and miserable. Like I I would even Mm -hmm. say like in my own life, like the amount of hours that I have spent worrying about a person not liking or approving of me, like you would be be shocked and horrified. A hundred percent. Wasted hours. Yeah. Like people don't like me. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's okay. And I have to, but I still have to work on it. You know, in my fifties and I'm still working on this. Like, it's okay. If everyone doesn't like or approve of me, do I like and approve of myself? Do, am I living according to my own values? Well then enough said, but like it is, it is a constant daily struggle not to try to like, please everyone and be agreeable. And honestly, I'll be honest. Like I still like it better when everyone likes and approves of me. Yeah. I'm still working on it. Yeah. It's really, yeah. it's really hard. It's like absolutely ingrained in us and all cultures around the world. I agree mm-hmm. around the world. And I think we have to, to stop. Yeah. Like it's okay. If yeah, as long as, as long as you're living according to your values and taking good care of yourself, it's okay. If, if some people don't like you and some will, because you'll be your beautiful, whole, you know, complicated and sometimes disagreeable self. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and same, like I, I struggle with that too, being, I used to be very, and I still struggle with that. It. It's a, it's a daily choice. It's a daily decision. You know, it's a, it's a daily walk of choosing to love myself. It's a daily choice. Um, but I struggle with that too, of feeling like I always had to be bubbly and happy and, you know, just go with the flow. I didn't want to ever, you know, push back or say no, or, you know, oh, you or be too much or, you know, any of that stuff or rock the boat or be difficult or complicated. I just always wanted to be easy, breezy, a yes person, a people pleaser, you know, because I was deriving my value from how other people perceived me. So when you're, so when you're deriving your value from other people, you will always be miserable and you will always be exhausted and you will never be fulfilled because people constantly change and people aren't really even really thinking about you in that particular way not in a bad way but if you're constantly proving your value through other people you will never live a fulfilled life and you will never be a whole person because you're getting that from other people so I had to switch from performance-based value which is what I do for other people will determine what my value and my worth is to intrinsic value which is I am here, I am me, therefore I am valuable. I don't have to do, show, or prove myself to anyone to be worthy. I am worthy, period, full stop. And when I got my value and my worth from myself, that is when I found peace. Because I will always have myself and I will always be with myself and I can always come back to myself. So when I know that just because I exist, just because I am here is enough and I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be liked by anybody. I don't have to do, I don't have to perform to be valuable. I just am. 
that is when I was able to achieve inner peace because I got my value and my worth from myself. And then from that place, I will interact with other people. So now I'm not interacting with other people for them to like me. So then I can feel validated, but I'm already validated. I already like myself. Let's just go have some fun and talk. If you like me, great. If you don't also great, whatever, (laughs) like keep it moving. Like your opinion does not determine my value or my worth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing where it's particularly as women, we are always taught to look outside of ourselves for how we should feel about ourselves. And that I think has been so Amen to all of that. So <sighs> detrimental to our feminine soul. Yes. It really has Yes, been. I could not agree more. Where you the trick is absolutely inside of yourself for how how do I feel about me? Let me work on that. What is my opinion of myself? Because when you think about it, it's self-worth, self-esteem, self-value. What do I think about myself? It's that other esteem, other value, (laughs) other worth. So why am I so busy trying to make other people that honestly probably don't even really matter that much, not in a negative way, but they just probably don't in like the bigger grand scheme of things. Like and love me. And I think once and I can like and love myself. Yes. Yes. And I think once you do that, like not only will you yourself be having a much more joyful life, mm-hmm. but you can change the world from that place. You know what I mean? Like you can actually then go out there and be the person that makes a difference for girls like these mm-hmm. and, you know, educates the next generation and prevents it from happening to somebody else, pulls somebody else up and out because you are coming from a whole and healthy place and you don't care what anybody else thinks because you know that's the right thing to do is to like protect and uplift our sisters and brothers around the world. Absolutely. And then you're doing it from a place of, um, that's coming from a place of authenticity is when you're doing it because you want to do it. You're not doing it because you want to look nice or look like a different way or, or look like you're giving back or being philanthropic, you know? you get some people out there that are like, oh, I donate to waters in Africa. And it's like, wow, good for you. But like, why did you do that? Did you do it because you want it to like look philanthropic and cool and give back? Or did you do it from a place of, I actually want to help other people, you know? So it's like, once you get to that place where you're doing something because you want to make a difference and you don't really care what other people think good or bad, then that's when you're doing it from an authentic place. Yes. And I think if we, if we all do that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll create like a heaven on earth. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll change this planet and, and we'll, we'll end this, the human trafficking and other issues like it once and for all. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been, I'm fired up. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like mad at everyone who like is being mean to women, but I'm also like inspired to like help people. Like I'm just fired up. <laughs> You know, this, this movement needs a voice like yours. And I hope you'll take that fired up energy and like move it for, keep moving it forward. Keep giving voice to these issues. We need you in this movement and everyone that's listening. We need you guys too. like, please, if you've heard anything today, that's, you know, moved you, um, get involved I, my organization, her future coalition, um, dot org, check it out. Follow us on Instagram at her future coalition and keep following candy and listening to all this inspiring stuff she has to say and um hope you'll 
you know, all join us. Absolutely. And I will have um, her future coalition linked in the show notes as well, along with their Instagram handle. So thank you so much, Sarah. This has been great. And for everyone listening until next time, be well. Thank you so much for joining me and please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Head over to Instagram and join me at Candy Washington. I can't wait to hear from you.